All right, good morning. Feel pretty official today. Got a, got a PowerPoint. It's a three-point lesson. I got my suit on and everything. I'm just not a tie guy because I can't breathe when I have a tie, so no tie today. And talking about preachers, I, you know, when thinking about uh, what I was going to talk about today, I want to say it's kind of hard, but it's, it's more fun trying to figure it out, you know, because you read through the Bible and it's kind of like you get to some verses and you're kind of like, what in the world is this verse trying to say? What is this verse talking about? Why is this verse in here? You know, there's whole books that kind of are kind of like that. And I'm not very bright, so I'm not going to be going over a whole book. But I am going to be talking about Jacob. Um, I think there's some parts in his life and his story that is kind of like, okay, what, what is that? What is that trying to say? What does that mean for us? So I want to draw some points that can apply to us today. And the title of my lesson is On the Ford of the Jabbok River. And we'll get to that um, later on in the, in the, in the chapter. Uh, so we know Jacob as one of, the patriarchs of, the, of um, one of the patriarchs of the Bible. He's one of the forefathers. He had 12 sons, one daughter, two, with two wives and two maidservants. And he's essentially responsible for the vast number that Israel will end up becoming. And that's what Jacob is usually known for. And what we usually talk about, but I think there's, there's a deeper lesson in what the Bible wants us to draw from. There's a deeper character in Jacob that God wants us to know about. So to understand Jacob, you just we got to go to the very beginning. If you go to chapter 25 in Genesis, that's where we'll start. Genesis chapter 25, starting in verse 19. It says, These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son, Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean, of Paddan Aram, the sister of Laban, the Aramean, to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. The children struggled together within her, and she said, If it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb. And two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak, so they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. Isaac was six years old when she bore them. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. So definitely some interesting verses in there. Now, real quick, Esau, it literally means hairy. And he came out all red, and he's a hunter, so I can just kind of picture a strong, wild, loud, hairy ginger pretty much. Now, compared to Jacob, the Bible makes it seem he was kind of the opposite. He came out smooth as a baby's bottom, more normal. He's kind of to himself. He, see, he seems to be quiet, mild-mannered, and dwelling in tents, as it says. Now, that's what it seems like, and almost compared to a loud person like Esau, it's easy to be overlooked. But here's the catch. 
What if I said they weren't so different after all? And this is what makes the story of Jacob very interesting. Go back to verse 26. It says, Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. So it seems pretty harmless, right? It's like, okay, so do twins, do they just hold each other all the time when they're being born? Like, is this normal? And not only that, but does one holding the other one's heel, like, is that rare? Does this happen all the time? Or is this something that we should look into? If anyone in here has ever asked Mama G and my mom a question about anything, let alone any Hispanic or Latino mother out there, about something that happened to you or what does this or that mean, you'll realize that there's a saying for everything, and to them everything means something, you know? Like one time I woke up with my left eye first, and she said, well, you know, you put vinegar on a towel and put it on the right side of your face. Your right side of your face isn't working, so... You know, that's what that means. But you can't just wake up with your left eye for some reason. So now imagine in those times in an oral society when they passed information down by talking to one another. And they were defining everything as they went on. Truly, everything truly meant something. And that's what we have in verse 26. It's simple enough. The name Jacob literally means he clutches the heel. But unfortunately for Jacob or Esau or however we want to look at it, Jacob also means supplanter or usurper. So what does that mean? That means someone taking the place of something or someone through force, illegal means, scheming, using strategy, etc. Simply put, deceiving and defrauding. And when you grab some, something or someone with your hand, in the case of Jacob and Esau's heel, it indicates a planned or willed action. And as we read Esau being this wild hunting and eating from his game and so on, it shows he's this savage, wild kind of man. And Jacob holding on to that heel, it's like him foreshadowing of him purposefully making that connection that, hey, we're the same. That savage you think you are, I'm the same. But as we read for Jacob, it's under his control of his hand and mind, which makes one a dangerously deceitful person. And this is where we get to our first point. Are you wrestling with God for your own blessing? Are you wrestling with God for your own blessing? So in Genesis 25, after the birth and describing Jacob and Esau, the Bible immediately shows those savage traits that we talked about with the story of the birthright. And in an oral society, when God speaks something down to you, don't you think it was probably talked about by the whole town and it was probably talked about for years to come until that prophecy happened? I can just imagine Jacob hearing about that prophecy that he was to rule over his brother and he's probably just waiting, he's itching, he's waiting for his time to come. And then they get of age and we see Jacob reaching out, wrestling with God for his own blessing to do things Jacob's way. I'm going to get this prophecy one way or another. As a matter of fact, you know, this is kind of driving me crazy. I just need to wait for the right moment and I can make this happen. So Genesis 25, uh, starting verse 29. Once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field. 
And he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, Let me eat some of that red stew, for I am exhausted. Therefore his name was called Edom. Jacob said, Sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I am about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? Jacob said, Swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank, and he rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. So when I was in middle school, um, I started working at, at a family friend's mechanic shop. And um, it was every Saturday morning. I would clean. I'd learn how to do a few things, brakes, oil changes, you name it. But the best part of all, the best part of all, I always came home with $100 bills, cash, in my hand, every Saturday, no matter what. So one Saturday when I get back, now, I don't want to say which brother, he may or may not be sitting in the back of this room, <laughs> and his name may or may not be Estuardo, but I'm not going to say any names. So I get home one Saturday, he just shows up out of nowhere, and he's like, He's going on and on about some dress shirts that don't fit him anymore. As a matter of fact, they'll fit you perfect, Edwin. I'm like, okay. He's like, hey, they're actually in really great condition. You know, I can't give them to you, but what I can do is sell them to you for a great price. I'm like, all right, cool, you know. Small the brother, I trust them, you know, no biggie. Uh, a few moments later, I was out $60 for like three shirts that looked like they just came from the thrift store that day. <laughs> Essentially, I got got. As I'm looking at these cool new shirts that I just bought, uh, my, our other brother pulls in the driveway, and I see Estuardo talking to him, bragging how he got me out of $60 for these shirts. Now, I say that story because it's funny, right? It's funny to look back on. It's something siblings do. What siblings don't do is they don't wait till you're at your weakest point and take away the last thing that makes you you. They don't take away the thing that, makes, that gives you meaning in your life. The birthright of the firstborn was something very important. It was an honor to be the firstborn. And when the time comes and the father's going to die, you don't just receive a blessing like the other siblings. You receive a, a double blessing, a double portion, if you will. You get all the, father, all the father's properties, all the father's responsibilities. You're essentially in charge of the family now and many more other things. So knowing the importance of a birthright like Jacob knew, and you're a deceitful person, and your dad is growing old, well, it's time for me to reach out and grab my own blessings. And that's why that's exactly what Jacob did. He nudged this whole blessing thing along. So when my, my brother decided to sell me those three $5 t-shirts for $60, <laughs> do you think that happened the first weekend he saw me come home with cash? Or did it happen after he saw a trend, right? You know, me leaving Saturday mornings, coming back at a certain time, possibly tired, out of my mind a little bit. And him realizing, having this new girlfriend he met at Chick-fil-A, that's Marie if you guys don't know. <laughs> it's kind of expensive, you know, your boy needs some money. So how about I do something about it? So do we think the situation with the food and the birthright was just one big coincidence? Or did Jacob know his brother, study him, realize what time he comes and goes and so forth? What Jacob did with the birthright was planned, it was deceitful, and him wrestling with God for his own blessings. In Genesis chapter 27, if you want to turn there, 
We all know the, the story of Jacob and his mom conspiring against Esau and Isaac in order for Jacob to get the blessing. They put fur on Jacob so he feels and smells like Esau. And Rebekah helps Jacob cook the food so that Jacob can get into the tent with Isaac before Esau and get the blessing of the firstborn. Now, this one is obvious. There's no real hidden message of this one except he's just straight deceitful. Now, this instance does seem like it was the mom's idea. But Jacob is just standing by. He's not saying no, and he's going along with it. He has as much fault in this situation as his mother. I do truly think, though, the worst part of this whole story in chapter 27 is verse 20. And at this point, Jacob deceived Esau for the birthright. He was complacent with his mother, and he lied to his father. And then we get to chapter 27, verse 20, and it reads... But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? And he answered, Because the Lord, your God, granted me success. So now he's involving God into his lives. Jacob is willing to go as far as he needs to get what he wants. Go over to uh, Genesis 28. We're going to read verses 1 through 5. We're just going to continue the story of Jacob. Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and directed him. You must not take a wife from the Canaanite woman. Arise, go to Padan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take as your wife from there one of daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that, you, that you may become a company of peoples. May he give the blessings of Abraham to you and your offspring with you, that you may take possession of the land of your sojourners that God gave to Abraham. Thus Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Padan Maram to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, Jacob's and Esau's mother. So, Jacob, you're up, you know. I mean, that's it. You got the blessing. You're up. And now Jacob uh, is directed by Isaac on what to do. Now, Jacob does essentially what he does. And we get to Genesis 29, verse 16. You guys want to turn there. Genesis 29, verse 16. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Jacob loved Rachel. He said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it is better that I give, you, give her to you that, than that I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. It's kind of interesting that uh, there's a distinction between Leah and Rachel. It, Leah had weak eyes and Rachel's beautiful informant appearance. It could literally mean that there was something physically wrong with Rachel or with Leah and her eyes or that she had weak or dull or soft kind of eyes. Either way, it's, it's making that distinction that there's something different from Leah physically in which Rachel essentially had nothing wrong as it immediately describes Rachel and being beautiful in form and appearance. So we get to, uh, let's, let's continue, uh, starting in verse 21. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife that I may go into her, for my time is completed. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening he took his daughter Leah and, and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. Laban gave his female servant Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be her servant. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, What is it you have done to me? Did I not serve you with did I not did I not serve with you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? 
Laban said, It is not so done in our country to give you the younger before the firstborn. Complete this week of this also, and we'll give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. Jacob did so and completed her week. Then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his female servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel to be her servant. So Jacob went into Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah, and served Laban for another seven years. So the deceiver got deceived this time. This is the thing about Jacob, though. Boy, is he relentless, right? He's going to do whatever it takes to make Rachel his wife. Jacob worked 14 years to marry Rachel. I mean, all I had to do was find a place to live. I could have married Haley, so. (laughs) Thanks, Brian. So let's establish a quick point. We all know that it's true. God can use any instance, good or bad, and use it for his plans. So here's another instance where Jacob is so blinded by what he wants, he's wrestling with God for his own blessings. I mean, I know Jacob has to know God said a man and woman, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Right? It was commanded by God in the beginning of time. And I know Jacob knows this because, as we read already in Genesis 28, verse 2, Isaac directed Jacob to leave him and his mother to find a wife with one of Laban's daughters. <clears throat> you fast forward, and I don't understand how Jacob could have not known it wasn't Rachel in the tent. It could be that he was drunk, it was dark, Leah might have been covered up. Um, it could also be theorized that it was dark and Rachel and Jacob never really had conversations past their first encounter, hence why when it refers to Rachel, it's always about uh, her physical looks. Whatever it was, Jacob wasn't going to live with the consequences of being deceived like his brother Esau had to. Mm-mm. No, sir. If I have to practice polygamy to get the woman I want, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do whatever it takes because this is, this is what I want and I'm going to make it happen. Genesis 30, uh, let's continue, uh, verse 1. Genesis 30, verse 1. When Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister. She said to Jacob, give me children or I shall die. Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel. He said, am I in place of God who was withheld from me the fruit of the womb? Then she said, here's my servant Bilhah, go into her so that she may give birth on my behalf, that even I may have children through her. So he gave her so she gave him her servant Bilhah as a wife, and Jacob went into her. And Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. Then Rachel said, God has judged me and has also heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore, she shall call his name Dan. Rachel's servant Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, with mighty wrestlings, I have wrestled with my sister and have prevailed. She called his name Naphtali. But Rachel envied her sister so much because Leah could have kids and she couldn't. So Rachel gives up her servants so Jacob could have relations with her and have kids. So I can have relations with more than two of my wives? Well, if you really want me to, right? Uh, Let's continue. Verse 9. When Leah saw that she had ceased bearing children, she took her servant Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as a wife. Then Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a son, and Leah said, Good fortune has come, so she called his name Gad. Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a second son, and Leah said, Happy am I, for women have called me happy. So she called his name Asher. In the days of the wheat harvest, Reuben went and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother Leah. 
Then Rachel said to Leah, Please give me some, some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, It is a small matter that you, may, that you have taken away my husband. Would you take away my son's mandrakes also? Rachel said, Then he may lie with you tonight in exchange for your son's mandrakes. So essentially at this point, Jacob is just sleeping with everybody and he's having a ton of children with everybody. But do we ever see Jacob saying something like, I don't know, I probably shouldn't do that or no, that's not a good idea. Jacob never fights back. And does the practice of polygamy and having 13 kids with four women while married to two of them seem like something ordained by God? Jacob is wrestling with God for his own blessings. We've already established that God can use any situation for his good and for his will. So the question I have is, the way Jacob's life has gone so far, and as we will continue reading all the trials he has faced and he will face, could it have been avoided if Jacob followed what God wanted? Can we look back and say, I think this is what God wanted, actually. These are the blessings God wanted for Jacob. In our lives, can we see what God wants for us? But you may be wrestling against God for your own blessings because you want something else. I want you to think about my second point. Are you wrestling with God against his blessings? Are you wrestling with God against his blessings? So we've gone through a good portion of Jacob as we were looking at it through the lens of Jacob wrestling with God for Jacob's own blessings. Now let's look back again and see it through a different lens. How Jacob was wrestling with God against God's blessings. How God had a blessing for Jacob how God wanted certain things for Jacob. But of course, because how Jacob did things his way, you know, he did he did things his way. So it sounds a little similar to the first point, but this time instead of looking at the blessing Jacob blessed on himself, if you will, um, if we can call it that, we're going to point out the blessings God actually wanted or gave Jacob. How this story could have been differently and probably wouldn't have gone through this whole mess if he did it God's way. So in the, in the police department, there's a lot of lateral moves you can make. So it's pretty cool, actually, because you don't have to be patrolling. You don't have to be on the field pretty much your whole career. So you can have a lot of different jobs as an officer. So this position comes open. Um, and it wasn't really my forte, but, you know, I was like, I'm, I'm going to go for it, you know. So the way it works, you put your name in the, in the hat, essentially, and you go through like a physical test, a written test, an interview, etc. And then they choose from there. And so as I applied for it, I was praying that if this position isn't for me, God make it clear. However that looks like. So the day comes, it's filled with the written test, the shooting test, and a physical test. As I leave that morning, I kiss Haley goodbye. I go do the process. And we get to the shooting test, and I pass that. I get to the written test, and for some weird reason, I never turned off my phone. Rule number one of an interview, you turn off your phone, right? It's pretty simple. And of course, I start getting all these texts. And it's from Haley, right? She's getting a checkup. She's at the hospital. She was pregnant with Samuel at the time. And my phone blows up, and it's Haley, and she's calling me that she's in labor, and that Samuel is coming right now, and you better get over here. So to put into perspective... Samuel came about a month early from his due date. On the exact day, I was trying to go for a different position that I had prayed to God to make it obvious if I should do it or not. Now, of course, I don't know if I can say, I don't know if I can say, but 
can it be God was telling me, no, this position is not for you. No, it's not for your family. I don't know if I can say that 100%. And in the same way, I think we can kind of look back at Jacob's life and say kind of, this, kind of similar thing, how God wants certain things for Jacob's life. So we know off the back, which we already, uh, we already read from the very beginning, Jacob was, before he was ever born, God was, he had a plan for him, and it was going to be a prosperous one. And when God has a plan for you, essentially all you got to do is you just got to trust him. Now I'm just going to, I'm going to read Genesis 25 verse 23 again, just to kind of refresh our memories. And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. So here's, here's my question when I was doing this. So how was God going to make this happen if not for Jacob's deceitfulness? The answer could be that the answer lies with Esau, actually. right? It's, it's no coincidence that the first story after describing Jacob and Esau is God telling the story of Jacob and Esau selling his birthright for a bowl of soup. The last time we went over the story, we talked about Jacob, but also kind of paints a deeper story of Esau, actually. Because to give up your birthright like Esau, it just shows he didn't care for what is God-given, for what is holy. And it just kind of shows up straight-up recklessness on Esau's part. Esau was willing to trade away temporal hunger for something eternal through Abraham's covenant. Turn to Hebrews chapter 12. It actually kind of talks about it. Hebrews chapter 12. We're just going to read a few verses from there. Hebrews chapter 12, uh, starting in verse 15. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. So what are these verses saying exactly? Is it, is it really saying that we can't repent? Is it saying that we can lose our salvation? Well, we, we know that's not true, and we know through God's grace anybody can come to him. And he's going to accept you with open arms, of course, with parameters that we've talked about. This passage of Hebrews is pretty much saying there's going to be consequences for your sin. There's going to be consequences for your sin. And when Esau sold his birthright, he sold his stake in the Abrahamic covenant. That's a biggie. That's a big deal. He was excluded from God's plan in the world because... Because God, you know, he respects our free will. Sometimes we can make decisions that are irreversible. So let me mix in a few things that I'm going to make my point. I'm going to make my point here. So Genesis, back to Genesis chapter 26. Uh, real quick, verse 34 through 35. When Esau was 40 years old, he took Judith, the daughter of Beri, the Hittite, to be his wife. And Basemeth, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite. And they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. So here Esau goes again, right? It seems that Esau had no respect for anything, anyone, and the traditions held by his family. And he kind of just did what, he's want, what, what he wanted, pretty much. You fast forward to chapter 49, and we're not going to read from there. Uh, but in Genesis 49, Jacob is 
giving Judah the blessing, right? The double blessing, as we talked about earlier. The ultimate Abrahamic covenant blessing where Christ is going to come through. But if you remember, Judah was fourth in line out of the 12 brothers. So how did he get the blessing? How did he get this amazing blessing that their firstborn son should have gotten? When Genesis 49, 1 through 7, uh, pretty much says Reuben lost his preeminence due to his sexual morality. That's the firstborn. And Simeon and Levi, they're second and third in line. They're also passed over due to their anger in killing men. So what this is telling me is that this, these double blessings that are reserved for the firstborn, well, it can be taken away and given to another brother. The oldest still had to do their part in doing what is right and following God. So it's, just, it's all speculation, but if Jacob never deceived anyone and he was straight up, Esau at some point or another would have done something which, like I said, we, we just read about where his parents despised him. And at some point or another, God was going to keep his word, and Jacob somewhere or somehow would have received the blessing set out for him since before his birth. And Jacob's story could have been a lot differently than what we have read. But instead, Jacob wrestled with God against God's blessings, which can lead to hardships and consequences and some other unwanted outcomes like, I don't know, having two wives and two other baby mamas. I mean, being married to one alone is hard. So, Jacob, you're crazy. Good luck. So let's go back to Genesis 29. So last time we went over the story of Jacob, uh, Leah and Rachel, it was under the lens of Jacob wrestling with God for his own blessings. All that Jacob did, um, it was all pretty much under what Rachel wanted, right? To make Rachel happy and what she said and so on. But let's look at it under the, uh, under the lens of the second point, uh, that God had a certain blessing he wanted for Jacob. Now, again, obviously I can't say with 100% certainty, but I think the Bible shows us what God wanted for Jacob. And we see Jacob wrestling with God against his blessings. I think what we can say is the Bible tries to show us is God can use any situation, like I said, for his good and for his will, as we've talked about. And I know people in the Bible knew that. But for some reason, Jacob, he kind of forgot it, right? And I think what the Bible tries to show Jacob, uh, with Jacob, Leah, and Rachel, is all you have to do when the situation doesn't go your way is you got to trust God. But if you want to do things your way, well, good luck with that, right? Now, I don't know if I can say that God wanted Jacob to marry Leah or that he preferred Leah. But I think... I could say God was trying to show that he could have made it work with just Jacob and Leah, right? With just them two being married. Jacob, I know you just got deceived. I know this isn't what you wanted, but will you but you just gotta trust me pretty much, right? So just the chapter before, uh, Isaac tells Jacob, right, in chapter twenty eight, to go marry one of his daughters. So on his way there, Jacob gets tired. He has a dream where God talks to him and promises something. It's also the night before, right before he meets Rachel. Does that sound by accident? I don't think so. Genesis 28, uh, starting in verse 10. Genesis 28, verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. He came to a certain place and stayed there the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his bed and laid down in the place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there is a ladder set on the earth, 
and on top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were descending, were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land, on, <clears throat> the land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you, your offspring shall be, shall be all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until you have done what I have promised you. So Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. So after Jacob travels where he's supposed to, he, he meets Rachel. And again, I don't think the timeline on how everything happened was by accident. Jacob, I know what's about to happen. I know you're going to fall in love. I know you're not going to get your way, but just trust me. I got you, and I'm going to look after you. So we fast forward, right, uh, chapter 29. We know Jacob's in love, makes a deal with Laban, works seven years for Rachel, ends up marrying Leah. So what if it stopped there? What if Jacob just stayed with Leah? Remember, God literally just told him, I'm going to bless you abundantly. I'm going to have your back. So what happens with Leah and Rachel? Or sorry, Leah and Jacob. In Genesis, as we read in Genesis 29, 31 through 35, they start having babies, right? And again, anytime a child is born to someone, it's a huge blessing and something only given by God. And we should always give God the credit. And Leah has four children just like that, back to back to back to back. While Rachel, well, in Genesis chapter 30, uh, verses 1 through 2, it reads, When Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister. And she said to Jacob, Give me children or I shall die. Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel. And he said, Am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? Am I God that has withheld children from you? This is only something that's in God's hands. In the same chapter, in uh, chapter 30, let's start reading in verse 14. <clears throat> and in the days of wheat harvest, Reuben went in and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son mandrakes. But she said to her, it is a small matter that you have taken away my husband. Would you take away my son's mandrakes also? Rachel said, then he may lie with you tonight in exchange for your son's mandrakes. While Jacob came from the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, you must come in to me, for I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. So he lay with her that night, and God listened to Leah, and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. Leah said, God has given me my wages because I gave my servant to my husband. So she called his name Issachar. <clears throat> and Leah conceived again, and she bore Jacob a sixth son. Then Leah said, God has endowed me with a good endowment, and now my husband will honor me because I have borne him six sons. So she called his name Zebulun. Afterwards, she bore a daughter and called her name Dinah. So that's seven children born to Leah and Jacob alone. We fast forward again as we talked about chapter 49. I'm just going to read one verse from there. Jake was, Jacob is blessing his sons. In Genesis 49 verse 8. It says, Judah, your brother shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's son shall bow down before you. And it just continues on. So Jacob is giving Judah the blessing, the double blessing, the ultimate Abrahamic covenant blessing where, where Christ is going to come through his line of offspring. 
Now let me ask you, who was the mother of Judah? It wasn't Rachel, it was Leah. So this relationship with Leah alone, it would have been fine, Jacob. It would have been fine. Let's back up to uh, Genesis chapter 30, uh, verse 1. Right When Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, no children, she envied her sister. She said to Jacob, give me children or I shall die. Well, you kind of want to be careful what you wish for. Genesis 35, starting in verse 16. Then they journeyed to Bethel. When there were still some distance from Ephrath, Rachel went to labor and she had hard labor. And when her labor was at its hardest, the midwife said to her, Do not fear, for you have another son. And as her son was departing, for she was dying, she called his name Benani. But his father called him Benjamin. So Rachel died, and she was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. And Jacob set up a pillar over her tomb and the pillar of Rachel's tomb, which is there to this day. Um, so there's, there's something else to look at real quick. Genesis 49... So right before Jacob is about to die, Genesis 49, uh, starting at verse 29. Then he commanded them, and he said to them, I am to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron, the Hittite, in the cave that is the field of Machpelah, to the east of Mamre, in the land of Canaan, which Abraham uh, bought with the field from Ephron, the Hittite, to possess as a burying place. There they buried Abraham and Sarah, his wife, there they buried Isaac and Rebekah, his wife, and there I buried Leah. The field and the cave that is, is in it where we bought from the Hittites. When Jacob finished commanding his sons, he drew up to his feet into a bed and breathed his last, and there and was gathered to his people. There's something special with being buried with your loved ones. It's an honor to be being buried with inside the family plot. This is the land which the family owned and was purchased by Abraham, where Jacob was born and raised, and, and lasted the burial place in the place where his family was promised, where the promised land was going to be, and the land that was given to Abraham, etc. So to be buried there with Isaac and Rebekah and Abraham and Sarah, it would have been an honor, right? What a perfect place for Jacob and the woman he loved the most to be buried next to, next to his parents and his grandparents. As we read, although Rachel, after she died having her last son, she wasn't buried in the family tomb. She wasn't even buried in Bethlehem where they were going at the moment. In fact, she was essentially left where she died. She was buried on the way to Bethlehem. In layman's terms, she was buried on the side of the road by herself, all alone. And Leah, well, as we read, she's buried next to the family, next to Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, and Rebekah. As we read in chapter 49, Jacob buried Leah next to them. More than half of the children born to Jacob came from Leah. The covenant came through the son Leah bore, and Leah being buried in the family tomb. I think it shows the love and respect Jacob finally had for Leah. But ultimately, sometimes how we, how we want our lives to turn out, well, it doesn't. And God wants us to know that he's still there for us. That he sometimes has different plans for us. So all we got to do is let God lead your life. Are you wrestling with God against his blessings? Instead of wrestling with God to create your own outcome and wrestling with God against what he wants from you, I want you to consider my third point. Are you wrestling with God 
for his blessings. Are you wrestling with God for his blessings? All that we read about Jacob did in a way paint him in a bad light. And rightfully so. Yeah, you know, he was deceitful. He was devious and he dedicated to his own way. And has brought a world of trouble for him and pretty much everyone around him. So let's go back to Genesis 31. So we, we get to chapter 31. And God calls Jacob to go back to the land of your fathers and your kindred. So Jacob packs everything up. And he essentially just, he just leaves Laban right away. He kind of tricks him too because he takes everything with him. Well, Laban didn't like that. He starts chasing him. Um, and he ends up stopping him. And he words it, well, why did you leave? You know, I haven't told my grandchildren, my children by and so on. He's also looking for his household gods. And side note, it's, it's kind of interesting that Rachel was the one that took them and hid them and didn't tell anybody. So it's like, is she just as deceitful as Jacob? Is this why they loved each other so much? Either way, the dust settles. Everything's okay. Laban sends them on their way. We get to chapter 32. <clears throat> Jacob is traveling, and he realizes something, right? He's traveling towards Esau. He's in Esau's lands now. And so he wants to send word to him that he has all these animals, and he sends his servants in order that Esau can find favor to him in his sight. Well, the messengers come back and they say, hey, that didn't work. Esau's coming, and he's bringing 400 of his men. Anytime the Bible talks about like men, essentially it's talking about like men of war, right? Something's about to happen. So Jacob is freaking out, and rightfully so, because if you go back to Genesis 27 real fast, Genesis chapter 27, we read uh, in verses 41 to 42. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. But the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent called Jacob her younger son and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. And essentially, that's the last Esau and Jacob saw each other. And it's been 20 years, 20 years since they last talked. The last memory of Esau had of Jacob was taking of his blessings. And the last memory Jacob had of Esau is Esau saying, I'm going to kill you pretty much. So I'd be freaking out too at this point, right? So Jacob prays to God at, in chapter 32 to deliver him from Esau, which conveniently, I don't remember Jacob ever going to God until this point. He's always been doing things his way, as we've talked about the whole lesson. But there's a difference this time, right? There's a problem this time, though. There's no way out. There's nothing that Jacob can do but face his problem head on. There's no finagling your way out. There's no deceiving. There's no scheming this time. We get to chapter 32, starting in verse 14. And Jacob comes up with this huge idea. He says, you know what? How about I just give him this huge present? Uh, 32, starting in verse 14. Uh, starting in verse 13. So he stayed there the night, and from what he had with him, he took a present for his brother Esau. 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milking camels, and their calves, 40 cows, and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys, and 10 male donkeys. And he handed over to his servants. Every drove by itself and said to his servants, pass on ahead of me, and put the space between drove and drove. So that should, you know, 
that should surely sway Esau not to kill me, right? And so all this is going to happen the next morning. As the servants go ahead of him with all the animals, and Jacob stays there the night in the camp. Let's read verses 22, starting in verse 22, and we'll stop halfway through 24. The same night he arose and took two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and he sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. Let's stop there for right now. So Jacob's family goes ahead of him across the stream. And Jacob is all alone now in the dark on the ford of the Jabbok River. So the Jabbok, it was a stream of water that runs east to west that runs into the Jordan River. And a ford, it's, it's a shallow place of a river or stream that you can cross. Hence why uh, Jacob's family is, is crossing the stream of water. And they do so. And he's at the very end. And he's standing there in the water by himself. And it's cold. And it's dark. Can you picture that right now? His mind is probably just going crazy. He has no clue what to do. He's right there by himself. He's freaking out. Remember, Laban was just before him. He was just chasing him. And now Esau's right in front of him. Everything, everything he's done in his life is coming full circle now. Everything is coming to a head, and there's nothing Jacob can do but face it head on. Then we get to verses 24. Let's start reading that. Chapter 32. And Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with God, uh, and and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked God, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. And the sun rose up, rose upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his limp. So there's a couple things, right, as you start reading those. Like, those are one of those things I was talking about in the beginning. Like, okay, what is this saying? This is very interesting. Is it really that God couldn't defeat uh, Jacob in a wrestling match? Of course not, right? When you're teaching somebody one-on-one, maybe it's a sport or whatever it is, you don't just beat them and you say, hey, try harder next time, right? They learn by physically doing it. You know, when, when Ellis beats me in a wrestling match, it's not because he's stronger than me. Sorry, son. Uh, it's because, you know, I'm trying to teach him something, right? This is how you control your strength. This is how you build confidence. This is how you take somebody down. Jacob is going through some things mentally right now. As his possible death is right in front of him. He's freaking out. He's coming up with all these ideas on how he can get out of it. And the Lord meets him. And he breaks his hip bone where he has a limp for the rest of his life. And Jacob asks God for a blessing. So... Let's continue. What, what, is this, what is this trying to say? You know, when you're a kid or those who have kids, sometimes, you know, kids just go berserk, right? They're just going crazy for whatever reason. And the only thing that snaps them out of it is you grab them by the shoulders and you say, stop, 
relax, I got you, it's going to be okay. And this is what happens in this situation. God came down, he grabbed Jacob, and he told him, stop freaking out. I've been here this whole time. How many times did I tell you I was going to take care of you in your life? The abundance of your children. Your flocks keep multiplying. Your family, they're all healthy. You guys have no need of anything. And yet, you wouldn't heed my words and you continue to do things your own way. And what's that brought you? Well, turmoil with your wives, turmoil with your children. You haven't seen your parents in 20 years. 20 years you've been with Laban. He's just taking advantage of you every which way. This time, you're going to do things my way. And for the first time ever, you're going to trust me. God then touches his hip bone. He puts it out of joint where he was literally physically disabled. Jacob, you can't run away from this situation this time. You're going to trust me. God then tells Jacob to let him go as the day has broken, pretty much saying, dude, it's daytime. We've been wrestling all night. Let me go. But Jacob won't let him go until he is blessed. God forced Jacob to finally come to him to ask for a blessing that God had always intended for him. And what happens in chapter 33? Well, Esau embraces Jacob with a kiss, and they weep. They make up. It took Jacob more than half of his life to come to God for help. Jacob had been wrestling with God for all the wrong things, and he finally wrestled with God for God's blessings, to do things God's way and only his way. No running around, no scheming, no deception, just straight-up trust that God was going to take care of him. So much so that God changed Jacob's name to Israel, signifying a transformation in Jacob's life, indicating that he has become a new person spiritually and morally. So those are my three points. So I want to leave with you guys some. Are you, are you trying to go to him? Are you wanting to do his will? Whatever that looks like. Are you going through something, but you don't know what to do? Are you wrestling with God to do things your way, thinking you know what's best, which in turn makes you wrestle with God against what he wants for you? I urge you to wrestle with God for his blessings, saying, I'm here to do your will. I'm here for you. I'm here to trust you, to do what he's always wanted for you, to be with with him for all eternity. And like Jacob, in your weakest moment, when you're all alone and it's cold and it's dark and you're hopeless and you're helpless, God is waiting for you. Can you see that? I'm just going to read Jeremiah 29, verse 13 again. And then the lesson is yours. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. And you guys can go to him now as together we stand and sing.